0: Our passage this morning is James chapter 2. If you haven't turned there, you can turn there now. And uh, as we begin our time, I'd like to take you back to the mid-80s. Much like Stranger Things likes to do. (laughs) If you're not familiar with that TV show... You know, it's, it's really nostalgic for many of us that grew up during that time. And uh, during that time, there was a, a shirt called Le Tigre. Okay? And if you're not familiar with it, it was the poor man's version of Izod or Lacoste. And so if you had a Lacoste, you, were, you had money. Still true today. I can't believe that brand has lasted this long. Okay, but um, for those of us that couldn't afford the Lacoste, Izod, crocodile, alligator, we had the tiger. Okay, it was La Tigre. Not many of you are going to be familiar with that because it's gone. Okay, but it was the poor man's version of uh, Lacoste, and I wore it proudly because i didn't know better okay <laughs> but you know as as uh, the reason why i bring that up okay is that uh you know there are many imitations and uh fake merchandise right even today right uh If you've ever visited us in Thailand, there's a place called the Night Bazaar. And there you can find um, $10 Rolexes. Okay? Uh, In fact, um, you go to Itaewon in Korea, it's uh, much the same. Okay, you can find any and all kind of name brands, but the fake and cheaper version of it. Have have you guys been to Itaewon? Hong Kong, you name it. Okay, even here in L.A., Uh, you can find uh, such things. Um, And uh, more recently, uh, I uh, was looking at YouTube and uh, there's this YouTube where guys go up to famous rappers and put this uh, detector to see if their diamonds are real. Have you seen that? Okay, well, it's there. All right. And um, lo and behold Some of these rappers have fake diamonds Okay Now the point of it is Is that um, It's okay It's okay to have Wear And use uh, Fake merchandise right But uh, Really at the end of the day We can't get by with fake faith And this is what James is confronting us with uh, us today as we go to the text is that can a believer have fake faith? Is there a way to identify genuine faith? Is there a way to understand what it really means to have faith in the living God of this universe so as we go to the text this morning uh, that's the idea that we're confronted to and and by way of background and and context i want us to go back to even chapter one and get the real flow and sense of what's happening here and really we need to go back to chapter one uh, verse 19 right and i want to read that for us real quickly know this my beloved brothers Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rapid wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And here's the punchline verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. In the context of chapter 1, verses 19 to 25, James exhorts them to be doers of the word, to continually memorize, look at the word, and obey the teachings of God's word. You go down to verse 26 to 27, and it dictates that this doing of the word means that there is a caring For those that are marginalized, those that are destitute, the orphans and the widows. In order to do this, we have to be unstained by the world and reject the paradigm that the rich are in charge. That the rich have more significance than the poor. And then in the beginning of chapter 2, as we looked at the last couple of times, it instructs us that true religion is characterized by love and compassion, and it's not characterized by partiality. He applies this directly to the disparity that he sees within his own congregation with the rich and the poor. So it's not merely lip service but it is to have a changed life that is true religion, a changed ethic and moral that leads to action, especially in regards to the poor and marginalized. That is the flow of this text. James is immensely concerned about how we actually live, and it's it's manifested especially in terms of our socioeconomic differences. And it's no different in our text this morning. It is something that we have to be intentional about, because James is. He mentions it over and over again. So let's get to our text this morning and bring out a little bit more nuance, a little bit more flavor in the progression of his argument. James chapter 2, verse 14 to 17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So, also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Here's our outline for this morning. Okay. Hopefully this morning, as we look to the text, we're going to see a real living faith. How can we understand what genuine faith is from this text? It's a simple outline you see there. Faith is more than saying. Then James will illustrate that in verses 15 to 16. And then in verse 17, no works equals dead faith. Uh, in the overall context of this passage, James is going to present to us uh, a saying kind of dead type of faith here in 14 to 17, and then a doing type of faith in verses 18 to 25, right? And uh, we're going to look at that next time, but today we'll be going through 14 to 17. And before we do that, I want to, There's no elephant in the room, but I want to address a common so-called contradiction that's often pointed out in in consideration of this text. You see the text uh, there uh, in the the slide. It's James 2.24 and uh, Romans 3.20, okay? Um, And you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. You see that? And then you have the Romans passage, right? For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified, okay? Since the law comes through the knowledge of faith, okay? And so when, when you uh, put these verses side by side, it seems as though there's a contradiction, Right? and uh, if you've ever done evangelism or uh, you have a new christian that you've talked to and they come across these two passages and and they don't have the context for uh, either of these passages then they'll often have a question what, what, does are, are is james and paul in conflict okay and the simple answer is of course no okay they have different emphases and uh, you know, in my, on my uh, laptop screen, that comes out a lot bigger, but um, you can see there the, the differences, the compare and contrast. Okay? And you see that the emphasis uh, of Paul is that salvation cannot be earned. Right? He's dealing with those that think that they can uh, get to heaven, get to God by their own merits whether it's by through the Jewish system or by their birth, okay, and because of who they are um, and because of their working for salvation that they can get to God. And Paul's argument, of course, is no. Here, James, his emphasis is that real faith produces good works, that there is an objective means of or objective indicator of what real faith looks like from the inside okay now as we come to jesus and we come to faith in him we acknowledge him we are saved by grace through faith alone through the word of god alone and as we do that as we live this life is there going to be some manifestation, a reality to that? And that is James's emphasis. Now, Paul does that too. At the, uh, at the end of Romans, he says that there is now an opportunity to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And there's an ethical, moral portion at the end of Romans, starting in, in chapter 12. And we see that both of them tell us the truth that in fact when we come to know who Jesus is when we place our faith in him that there is a change in our actions and that is what James is is pointing to here it is how to show that we are saved there is a fruit to salvation God does not leave us Alone and it is not mere assent. And he'll, he'll make it even more plain later,? Okay? Uh, he'll talk about the, the demons and their understanding of God, that they have a proper understanding of God, that He indeed is one. but that is that enough to save? And of course, the answer is no. But here we get back to our text. In verse 14, okay, that faith, in fact, is more than saying. Look at there. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith? That word good is a word of profit or gain. What gain is there? What profit is there, my brothers, if someone says he has faith? but does not have works. The other term that I like to, well, okay, so there's two terms I, I like to, to uh, um, define. First is faith. Faith is, is a, an entrusting of ourselves to the complete and finished work of Jesus Christ. And that by doing so, we now gain a relationship, favor, with God. Okay, that is what faith, what biblical faith is. It's a complete entrusting of ourselves to God and the finished work and person of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, we become saved. But that faith here, again, James's emphasis, is that it, it reveals itself, works now the second term that I I want to define here is works and you can also define that as deeds and it is any uh, I define it there right I want to make sure Okay, behavior that has ethical or religious consequences. If, if you use that in the plural in the New Testament, it's always related to behavior in terms of religious or ethical standards. Now, in this context and many other contexts, it's the deeds done in obedience to God's word. Okay, so that's the kind of deeds that we're talking about. And one other thing I want to point out about this verse is that it is not a one-time thing. Okay? Um, all of these, uh, this whole sentence is in the present tense. And the idea is that we are continuing. He is, he is saying, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he continues, but does not continue to have any faith works it's an ongoing reality and he uses uh, this literary device as a a diatribe okay this question for us to consider and obviously the answer is going to be no but he's saying if you do this continually continually and say you keep on saying i have faith i have faith but there is no real manifestation In your life, can that faith save him? And the obvious answer is no. Okay. And unfortunately, um, that seems to be the course of evangelicalism today. Now, um, you can go back 20, 30 years. Uh, with the Gallup poll more recently, with the, the Pew Research poll. And when you ask the average American, are they a Christian? Do you know what the number is out of 10 people? It ranges from six to eight people during the last 30 years. That's the majority of our nation. The highest has been eight That they identify themselves as a Christian. Okay. Now, more recently, that's changed. Okay. Um, more recently, that's that's dipped quite significantly. Right. And in fact, the uh, the non-religious have gained uh, quite a momentum uh, in the nation. Right. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, in those past polls, we found that. Uh, a good number uh, have seen that they themselves identify as a Christian. What can be the explanation for this? Well, there was a time where there was this thing called easy believism, right? This idea that a mere ascent is going to get you to heaven. A mere ascent is what makes you a Christian, and uh maybe that's why, okay um, but the follow up questions uh to that are more interesting when when peop- when people were asked do they do they t- attend church at all okay uh, the <laughs> The percentage goes down significantly, okay uh, down to the thirty to twenty percent range, okay do they show by way of tithing, okay, goes even lower, okay, it's less than 2%, okay, Um, and when there is an outward action that could manifest a belief in faith, okay, there is a significant drop. for us this morning as we're confronted with God's word, okay, do we have that same mentality? Is is mere assent, is mere knowledge of God, a mere knowledge of what Jesus did and saying that we believe enough? And the answer to that question is no. It's a resounding no. Look at that next phrase. Can that type of faith, can that faith save him? Can a faith that does not consistently produce righteousness, that produce works, can produce a manifestation of their belief in God save them? Obvious answer to that question from James is an expected no okay. it is a saying kind of faith faith is more than just saying faith is more than talking faith is living genuine faith is not a mere verbal assent it is an, there's an there must be an outward manifestation to that belief look how james illustrates it in verse 15 to 16 this is an illustration of a saying faith In this section we want to identify who he's talking about and what the action is that shows this this is only a sane faith and not a genuine real faith. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, okay. Now first thing we notice is a brother or sister. And in fact, You go back to verse 19 of chapter 1. These are brothers. These are people within the household of God. So this illustration, albeit it could be hypothetical, or it could be real. It could be something that James saw for himself within the congregation. But he's pointing out that it is a brother or sister in Christ. And here is their situation. They're poorly clothed or lacking in daily food. In other translations, you see that word poorly clothed as actually naked. And actually, that's the better translation. But the idea is that they are poorly clothed, as you see there in the ESV. Okay? It is a person without means. It's describing, especially a person without an outer garment. It's describing a person that is inadequate in terms of the amount of their clothing. It was, in fact, considered indecent. Okay, and that's why uh, some translators. Uh, opt for the naked because the idea is that not only are they poor but they're indecent the degree of their destitute being destitute is that they are indecent look at the second term they're lacking in daily food And you can translate that they are destitute of daily food. And this expression is only found here in James. So it's, it's, it's difficult to get all the nuance, but taken together, it obviously is showing a person that does not have the basic necessities of daily living. They are regularly lacking in the daily supply of covering and food. And probably they're not in good health either. So this is a person that is in fact in need of basic necessities. Look at verse sixteen. Look how it's addressed. Okay. This is an example of a fake faith, and one of you says to them, "Go in peace, be warmed, and filled." And again, James is addressing the congregation. This expression "Go in peace, be, be warm and filled okay it's a common saying um, that was used uh, back then and uh, in fact uh, our Lord Jesus uses it himself okay in uh, Luke 7:50 you see an example of this uh, after he heals the woman that uh, anointed his feet with the precious oil and with her tears. At the end of that exchange, you see that he says, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace, or depart in peace. He uses again in Mark five thirty four, go in peace. It's 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 similar to saying uh, God bless. It is an implied prayer wish. It's a desire for them to be wholly well. That there is um, a desire for them to be well. Okay. So you see that it is not a, a harmful expression. It's an expression of Really wanting the better of the person that is receiving and hearing it. The second part of what uh, this uh, what is said is be warmed and filled, and it can be taken in the middle or the or the passive uh, voice. If it's in the middle, the speaker is basically encouraging the poor brother or sister to find clothing and food for themselves. Or if it's in the passive, then it's a declaration that someone else will f- help them feel warm and fed. But again, it's with the no intention on the part of the speaker to do so,? Right? So whether it's in the middle or the passive, there's an inactivity based on the part of the speaker. So he's either telling him, hey, you, you take care of it yourself, or someone else is going to take care of it for you. The intent of the speaker is not to meet the needs, but to give them warm platitudes. Okay. And this is what James is pointing to. Look at that next phrase there. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what profit, what gain... What good is that? And again, the answer to that is there is none. Real faith is not mere general, warm, fuzzy platitudes. It is not a faith, again, of saying. And this is what this illustration is pointing out is that there is a brother obvious in need and yet the reaction of the one that is tasked and should respond in a way to meet those needs is with a warm platitude. God bless. Go in peace. Be warmed and filled He recognizes the need. He is confronted with that need. But his response to that need is but mere words. We cannot meet the needs of others merely by speaking. What profit is there? What gain is there? There is none. I want us to uh, turn to first John chapter three very quickly okay this is a very similar idea first John chapter 3 verse seventeen to eighteen John is very similar in his approach as as he addresses his audience. He clearly outlines and defines what are the marks of a true believer, one that follows God, confesses sin, abstains from the things of the world, loves the brethren. And here... In verse 17 of chapter 3 but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him how does God's love abide in him? little children let us not love in word or talk but in deed, that same word but in works and in truth yes it is true we need to study God's word We need to memorize it. We need to feed ourselves. We need to love it. We need to process it. But that should lead to action. And not mere words. Especially as in regards to the needs of our brothers and sisters. Um, You know... It's, it's, it's not an easy thing to do because what sin does is it naturally moves our minds and hearts to ourselves and to our close proximity our close periphery our families, okay our close friends and usually that's enough okay for many of us that if I take care of myself if I take care of my family because that's what God tells me to do then we get stuck there we see over and over again in God's word that there is a concern that is commanded by God toward other believers it's not option. So, as intentional and purposeful as we are about making sure that we're okay and our immediate family is okay, that same concern needs to be translated to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 17. culminates this section. So also faith by itself, if it does not have deeds, if it does not have works, is dead. So in the same way, James is now bringing us to the conclusion of the argument. Can that faith save him? And the answer is no. If there is no manifestation of the Holy Spirit in your life, all indications point that there is no Holy Spirit in your life. Words alone mean nothing. The compassionate words, the compassionate platitudes, of an uncaring brother or sister is worthless if that profession of faith is not accompanied by good works. You can see here, not only in, in this section of of James chapter two, but as as we saw earlier. There's, there's a flow to this argument. There's a flow to James' thinking. There's an abundant concern for those that are poor, not just in spirit, but materially within his congregation. There's a disparity that he sees, and it's obvious. And he's pointing it out to the brothers and sisters. And that there ought to be an action accompanied with that. It's not merely just an acknowledgement. They can see it. Everyone sees it. But it's accompanied by faith, a living faith that is moved toward action. It's not just with James. You see it throughout the New Testament. Jesus talks about money more than any other topic, more than heaven and hell. Jesus sees, and especially Matthew chapter 6, there's an inherent, inborn, Magnet tied to money. You will love and serve the other, and you will hate the other. John in chapter 3. It's very curious, okay? In fact, I'm going to read that for us. Luke chapter 3, verse 10 to 14. As, as John was, was calling the crowd to repentance, their response was, well, how can we show that we've repented? One was baptized, to be baptized, and then he says, the crowd asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do Likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, "And we, What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. This is astounding. It's all related to money. Finances. How they use how they abuse. One of the key ways in which we can continue in our progress of sanctification is to be purposeful and intentional about how we think about and use money. When we're thinking about how to distribute our resources, we need to be intentional and, de- and think deeply about whether we're doing that or not, first of all. And then it ought to manifest in the ways that we use it. Is your faith a real faith? Or is it fake? Is it merely assent? Is it merely to say that you are a believer and yet your actions are not transformed and changed? How are we going to think about and apply this in our own congregation you know, um, just frankly, many of uh, the people here are not destitute, not poor. Okay, some are. Okay, and what is the degree to our responsibility toward them? Is there any? According to God's word, there is. Okay. we're not talking about kind of a general socialism or social justice action plan okay I'm not calling us to you know uh, do away with homelessness okay though you can okay but the call to action I think first is to think about your state of your faith is it one that has transformed your thinking and then ultimately your life and in a way that affects especially the way that you handle and you think about your finances and your social economic status because this is the whole context of it the whole context of the beginning of, of chapter 2 okay there's a rich man you show partiality to him but to the poor man you say you should go sit in this corner Believers in Christ ought to be marked by an intentional, purposeful mindset that leads to an action that especially addresses the poor and the destitute among us. It's a worthwhile endeavor, right? To follow Jesus, isn't it? Okay. And it's a privilege. It's a privilege to follow our Lord Jesus Christ, um, But at the same time, there's a responsibility. There's a responsibility to live like him, to think like him. And this is, I think, one of the things that he is calling us to be and to do. As you meditate upon that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Search within your own heart Mind, asking the Lord, Lord, help my faith to be a real faith. Not merely lip service, but a faith that transforms our thinking and ultimately our actions. Give you some time right now. Lord we come to you humbled uh we pray lord that you would give us a humble heart a heart that has the mind and heart of Jesus that as he saw the crowds there was compassion and not only compassion but that compassion led to action he fed the 5000 as he saw their hunger and their need He healed the sick. He reached out to the poor. Lord, we pray we have that same mindset. As we have professed and claimed our faith in Jesus Christ, may it transform us to men and women that have a deep concern for your concerns. And that would be the poor, the lowly, the destitute. Help us to be intentional and purposeful in this area, all for your glory and for your sake, for your kingdom, we pray. Amen.